if I have any advice when people go, well, what would you have done wrong? I mean, what would you have done differently in the last 25 years? Read, I would own less of better quality with less leverage. That's it. Mm, mm. I still would have grown more. I would have handled the downtimes worse. 08 would have been a lot less painful. I survived when a lot of people fell, but man, if I had just owned less of better quality with less leverage, it would have worked better. Welcome to Investing in the US, a podcast for real estate investors, business owners, and aspiring entrepreneurs looking to grow their wealth by investing in US real estate. I'm your host, Reed Goosens, and so far, I've acquired over $800 million worth of investments of various properties across the United States. On this podcast, I interview go-getters, risk-takers, and the best in the business to learn more about their investment journey and the cutting-edge strategies they are applying towards building a legacy. For more on growing your own wealth and or buy investing in the US, visit www www.readgoosens.com. Today on the show, I have the pleasure of speaking with Jim Shields. Now, Jim is a real estate expert with a real extensive knowledge on build-to-rent niche. He is a partner in Southern Impression Homes, a company that specializes in building rental portfolios in Florida's high-growth markets for individual investors and institutional buyers. I'm really excited to have him on the show today to not only talk about surfing stories, because I can talk about surfing stories till the cows come home, but to talk about his real estate investment stuff. So enough of me. Let's get him out here. G'day, Jim. Welcome to the show. How are you doing today, mate? Good, Reid. Thanks for having me. Mate, my pleasure. To start off every podcast episode, we like to ask the guests to rewind the clock and tell me how you made your first ever dollar as a kid. What, what was yours? My first dollar was made as a paper route boy, collecting, you know, for the paper weekly delivery for my neighbors. That was the first dollars coming in. That was like mm-hmm. age nine, I think. Mm-hmm. Walk us through the story of you now in the build for rent space. We want to get to that because I also have a build for rent project that we're building in, in St. Marcus, Texas. But um, what was the what was the impetus to get into into real estate? Was there a life before real estate? And how did you grow up with 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 finances and money? Yeah, we had no money. We were very middle class. To my father's credit, he said, do something on your own. And I remember getting sat down right after college by uh, a mutual friend of our, our families. And he was about halfway between my parents' age and mine. And he said, you should really look at getting into income producing real estate. And Reed, that was Greek to me. I didn't know what the hell that meant. Uh, but I started to write a few books on it. And I went into an experiment just north of you. I bought my first fixer upper in Lompoc, California about 25 years ago. And that's how small it started. But I had no financial background. My parents didn't. I did have some successful entrepreneurs in my later family, like my grandparents that imparted some lessons to me before they passed away. But real estate was was really an open frontier that my family had never been involved with. But I had read that quote at the time, and now it's even gone up, seven out of 10 real estate millionaires were made through real estate. And I like that. I like the tangibility. I grew up in North Jersey and the Wall Street scene never appealed to me. I thought it was shit. It just, it, I didn't like it. But the tangibility of real estate and the levers just always made sense to me. Yep, yep. And what was the, you, know, you mentioned 25 years ago was your first deal. That's a long time ago. What's, yeah. fill, fill in the gaps. What have you been doing in the interim? <laughs> yeah. So, you know, I, I'm, the old mentors used to say, you got to be able to say what you do in one sentence if you're really good. Otherwise, you're a jack of all trades. So, you know, I started by rehabbing HUD foreclosures in California and selling them to FHA buyers. Then I continued on buying foreclosures and fixing them up and renting them out. And then coming to Florida around 2005, I continued doing that. And after the meltdown happened, I started to buy bulk foreclosures and either rent them out for myself or sell them to investors. And that's what led to build to rent. You know, about almost a decade ago, the numbers weren't making sense here in North Florida. You know, my 
we have a mutual good friend that we talked about before here. The numbers just weren't here and you'd have to cut corners on these fixer uppers. And my now building partner came to me and said, Hey, what if we tried to build our own investment properties instead of find old fixer uppers to fix up and make our investment properties? I thought, well, I've never built before. You know, this badge of honor on my shoulder for 15 years have been rehabs. But we threw together some development fees and did a small development in Jacksonville, Florida. And it went okay at best, Reed. But the the signs and the signals were were there that, wow, this could really step up our game for not only properties we provide for ourselves, but our investors, because there were less headaches, longer tenancy, better resellability and growth, uh, better areas that we could build in. And also it put us in a different plane where everyone was trying to find old fixer uppers and fighting over them. We had some you know longer barriers to entry, but if we could do that, it put us in a class to ourselves to open up a whole new field that was never available to us. Mm. For those listeners, is talking about is entitlements and development, right? You're finding a piece of land, going through the entitlement stage, and 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 you know going through the build. You mentioned that it, it went okay at best in the beginning. There, what was the hiccups that you've learned along the way when you did that first project? When we first started doing our projects, we we're now a self builder, and since we self build, you know, we would have to contract out to another builder. They did a decent job for us, but it gives you a layer of separation, a layer of profit margin taken away. And I got to tell you, going into the pandemic, if we had not been a self-builder, we could have gone broke because you couldn't get anything done. The supply chains, the availability here in Florida. So we were not our own builder, which became a very important part of our progression. Also, we didn't this was a really nice area, the tail end of a community that was mainly built for owner occupied people. But we did not take finite control of the management for the first set of these 28 houses. And what I've found when, when you're doing properties in close proximity, you have to be very granular about the initial tenants that you let in, because that can either become a very positive area or a very negative. And what we did read is we had properties that we kept for ourselves and then we're working with some of our investor clients, but some of them were not clients. And they said, no, no, we're going to manage it ourselves. Well, they said this without experience. And we had probably about six or seven of these 28 properties that we had sold to other investors. They were out of area. They had no experience in property management. They did no screening. And they let in some very unqualified tenants. And that can act like an infestation and cause problems to the area. So what we learned was as we started to build for more people, we started to make a requirement to either they have to have management experience or they had to use our management for at least one to two years so that we could get it off on the right foot. And the odds were we would know how to do it better than they were. And that was a huge aha, because when you're building a whole new section of a neighborhood, again, it's so important. If you get it off on the right foot, that can be huge. If you get it off on the wrong foot, wrong tenants, that can create a really problem area. Right. A couple of things I just wrote down there, and it's so important. And, and I think- has been exacerbated post-pandemic in this business of real estate is management and GCs controlling as much as you can in the vertical integration process is so important. We do some of it in-house, asset management, construction management. We we bulk supply our, our materials from Asia on our existing multi-side. But yeah, the management's always been that little key piece we haven't gone to yet because it's kind of like, it's that thankless business of, you know, becoming a HR company. And same with the GCs, right? You you, you then manage, you, you then become a manager of, of 
of humans and you know humans are very fickle creatures <laughs> and you got to like someone doesn't want to show up for work one day you got to you got to you know become a HR company but one of the things I I just heard you say was you're building these and then selling them and then the buyers would rent them out is that the build for rent and is that still the model today yeah see and that's that's a great distinction build to rent a lot of people think and it is part of it a build to rent community like you build an entire community for rentals and we do that for some of the larger hedge funds and family offices that that contract us out and we'll do our own quad communities but a lot of the times build to rent is yes we work with individual buyers we have almost a thousand investors we work with who build their own small portfolios we will build the property for them they step in at the end and with permanent financing and then they contract us to continue to manage the property and that's our main model and yes we'll build whole communities of like quadruplexes but what we kind of specialize in, Reed, we also do, as I said, the whole communities, we're big believers in infill lots mm-hmm. and going to an area we really like and, you know, look at a four square mileage area and we buy up all the infill lots in existing good condition neighborhoods. So this already has a great average of both homeowners and renters, which I was always taught to look for in my early days. And now we just build nice single family homes or duplexes in these neighborhoods. Our investor buyers step in, they're in a great position, highly desirable, very rentable, easier to manage. You and I would walk down the streets at nine o'clock on a Saturday night, no problem. And that's who we work for. Yes, we work for the larger hedge funds and they hire us out for some of the projects, but our main core business is helping individual investors build their own successful portfolios. For those listeners who've listened to this podcast in a long time, this is a new iteration, not a new iteration, but it's it's a it's an iteration above the turnkey. Like it's you know it's really built to turnkey, right? You know, it's, like we call it turnkey two point oh because two, it's, exactly it's your uppers. We're going to nicer areas with new construction. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's the distinction for the, for those listening out there. Yeah, like yeah, turnkeys where I started my business as well back in the day. You know, getting your feet wet buying an existing nineteen twelve built house, and you get a section eight person in there, and you you know on the paper it all looks good. And after the pandemic, uh, not a pandemic, after oh eight, it was a big where the uh, a lot of Aussies were coming out here, and yep. where the Australian dollar was in parity and buying a lot of these turnkey properties, but not having as much success. I think you've got a, a good formula there going in finding the infill locations. In, ex- in neighborhoods that are currently existing now, but they're newer neighborhoods, they've got the the average household income where you want it to be, and you can just you know cherry pick the, the the lots you want. I guess on the as I say that out loud, are you what's your sort of buy box when you're looking for those? Because I because because I, I could assume that cost right is going to be a big thing versus your rental to attract the t- investor on the back end to say, hey, come and buy this with us. And then rent it out, and it can you know cover your costs. So, what do you, what's that buy box look like when you're going out and identifying the land and 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 trying to back into a rent? Yeah, well, I'll start by saying what the buy box is not. It's exactly what you're describing of people. I worked with a lot of investors coming over from Australia and Canada, and again, half of my wedding in Costa Rica was Aussies. I just I have a lot of Aussie <laughs> friends from over the years from surfing. And one thing I learned going back and forth from Australia, and I know you've seen this firsthand, a bad area in Australia is nothing compared to a bad area in the US. We're a much no. larger country. And it's just uh, my friends were shocked of what they told me was a bad neighborhood when I traveled around their neighborhoods in Australia. I'm like, well, when are we into the bad area? <laughs> and so <laughs> we just have rougher neighborhoods. We have a bigger population. That's the way it's going to be. And I think that's what a lot of people got sold a bag of goods on is, no, 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 don't buy one good property, buy three of these so-so 
properties in tough areas and tough condition. And man, can that be a recipe for disaster? If you get lucky on the equity train, you're okay. If you have to wait too long, you get pulverized. And, and I watched a lot of people do that. We always tried to stick at a higher level, Reed, even when we were rehabbing houses closer to the median. I didn't want that bottom of the barrel lowest price because I knew those were tougher neighborhoods, tougher tenants, tougher management, more turnover, more maintenance and repairs. So our buy box is always right around the median. And right around that median, that means the average family income can still afford it. And the bottom line is cash flow. You know, for our Aussie friends, oh, I don't want negative gearing, right? Negative gearing. I didn't know what that was for years, but now I know. <laughs> negative gearing, negative cash flow. We want to make sure that even though we're doing new construction, Reed, these are going to cash flow right off the bat. And when you say median, you're talking probably around 250, I could imagine, 250K? 250K is a good median for it. That could be a little higher in some of our higher growth areas like Fort Myers or Palm Coast, which is a beautiful coastal area. And our average price for properties goes from about 250 to about 950. Now, the 950, though, is for quadruplexes in high growth areas like Jacksonville, Florida. Some of the nice areas of Jacksonville, we're cash flowing properties. But again, to get them into the right areas, the right condition and the right cash flow, even you're looking at about 950,000. So that's our range, 250 to 950. And and then so if you're backing into a, a gross rent, then what is what are the areas in Florida pre-pandemic and post-pandemic for one of your new builds go for? And I assume they're all two bed, two bath, you know, with a garage or something like that. Yeah, our, sing- our single families will be three bedroom, two bath and four bedroom, two bath. And then our duplexes will be two twos and then some three twos. And then quads are all two twos. That's what mm-hmm. works for quads is two bedroom, two baths. And again, when, you know, the rents, one of the things that prices have gone up in Florida, you know, quite a bit uh, through the pandemic. The good news is rents did as well. Otherwise, all the fundamentals would have fallen apart. So we've seen quite a growth and it would be a, a moving target read from markets. We're in 12 different markets. So some markets experience more, more growth than others, but normally the rents went up in, in unison with that and a little bit better. So even in some of our people that were buying with us seven years ago but are still buying today, have said, yeah, my buy-in is better, but my starting point of where the cash flow is is pretty similar. So again, when you're starting with a new construction, we're getting about a five to seven cap. Uh, and that's a new construction going in. Yep, 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 yep. So I could imagine it's probably around 1500 on your small twos to upwards of 2500 on your, your bigger single families. Would that be about right? Pretty close, pretty close, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, it's, it's it's interesting as because we're doing a project in St. Marcus, Texas, build for rent. It's, it's literally five acres with glorified duplexes. <laughs> that's all it is, right? But we're going to sell it to – we're not going to – they're not going to be condoed out, so we're going to sell it to someone who's going to come and take it down. But it has been a real shift to this type of way of living. Talk to us about why that shift is. You've been in the business longer than I have. Why has the shift been there from the rental demand side into this you know, sexy word, BFR or BTR? You know, why? It's funny because it didn't even exist, you know, nine, 10 years ago. Yeah, right. And now it's, you know, Wall Street Journal. Everyone's talking about, oh, build to rent, build to rent. A couple of things that I've seen happen, Reed. First of all, you hit on some really key words, what you just said. You just mentioned Florida and you just mentioned Texas. Look, not all states are created equal right now, whether it's weather or growth or economy or real estate. And right now, there's probably a reason that you're enjoying the waves in California, but you're building in Texas. And that's the same reason why I enjoyed the waves out there for years, but I'm now in Florida. There is a lot of demand. Uh, there is, we are behind on housing. 
in Texas and Florida right now. The stats are there and the landlord laws are very friendly. So whether it's an individual investor who's coming to buy a small portfolio of our properties or a larger hedge fund or the person who's going to take you out of your project, they want landlord laws in their favor. That's really important. We also want growth patterns. And I'm seeing that in those areas. And we've seen a shift, a mindset where that white picket fence, own your own home, a lot of, I mean, some of some of the you know young kids that I've mentored or even you know relatives who have children in their early 20s, they're like, oh, I don't want to own a home. You know, that's mm-hmm. just that seems like a trap. That seems like an anchor. And so they're looking more into a rental mindset than I ever was. I remember saying, gosh, I can't wait to own a home. I, I can get my first time home buyer's loan. I had a different mentality when I was their age. And that mentality is playing into the need and the success of what you and I are doing with Build to Rent. We're behind in certain areas with needed inventory, and there's more of a rental mindset for a lot of the prospective people that are going to rent from us. Mm. No, and I think I'll also add on top of that is that the the way in which people want to rent has changed, meaning like there's been a massive – I'm in the multifamily space, right? I, and I, I buy existing stuff. We put lipstick on a pig, you know, two, 300 units. We sell it. We make a you know, killing. But I think there's also, as you do get to that, we'll call it young 30s, even mid 30s, even even 40s, people are like, I don't want to have a tenant above below me to you know to one side. They want to have that home feel, but they again they might not necessarily want to put the money down. They want to have that be a little bit more transient if they want to have the option that shift towards a home like feel, whether it be a a part of a quad or part of a duplex. Is I I, I definitely see that as more of a a want and a need to sort of tick that feeling, the feel good box of, of, you know, owning a home. Well, and you got to look at the theme of what we all, the craziness we all went through for the last few years, the words low density started to have a lot more meaning. People Mm -hmm. wanted space, they wanted to be a part. So, you know, when you had the option of a two, two apartment building within a 400 unit complex, opposed to a duplex in an established neighborhood, there was with a yard and some space, this played into our favor. You know, people, like you said, they wanted single access, not going through common areas, to be more spread out, to have their own yard and space for their children and their own safety and well-being. And that really played well, something we honestly, we had always worked in residential breed. You know, that was more of our specialty, bulk residential. But we didn't expect such a strong wind at our back with what happened. But that low density theme is where duplexes and quads all of a sudden started to become a a very major point of conversation opposed to, like you were saying, the larger buildings, which you can still do great with, of course. I mean, but this just started to have a a, a new attention to it. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Talking about the Sunbelt, I invest from Phoenix all the way through to Texas, all the way through the Carolinas. There definitely has been, in my, at least on my rental portfolio, and again, or more on the commercial multi-side, a pullback in rents. Are you seeing, you know, we saw the pandemic, you know, Phoenix, Austin's, I know some parts of Florida were getting, you know, 15, 17, 20% rent growth after the pandemic. And now we're starting to see it come back. We've hit that, particularly on the blue collar stuff. And you may not be renting to blue collar, but I know we do. And we've seen a pullback of like rents just can't, you're going to hit a ceiling. Are you starting to see some of that? Now that we're sort of long in the tooth in this expansion, interest rate expansion, people can't continue to afford the groceries and the petrol and all that sort of stuff and then slap on top of another $500 rental increase because we can because there's demand so high. Are you starting to see it soften a little bit at all? 
You know, we've seen a little bit, and I want to make sure I go back to interest rates because that's a big topic of conversations in a minute, but we've seen a little bit of that happening, Reed, but where we saw that is exactly where you talked about. It's not in stuff, you know, we're always putting new units on the ground. So we're always checking the market to see where's the market at to be able to gauge our rental pricing. The only place that we've seen some drop is where, you know, people got in five years ago and like in Jacksonville, in 2021, literally rents went up like 26%. So they've been incrementally growing up that. So from the peak of where those rents had just taken off an incredible amount, we saw it trail down from the peak about nine, 10% on those rents. Mm -hmm. But you got to remember those rents were up, some of them almost nearly double. So that was something that could be cushioned and felt with. So we haven't really seen that on new units coming out because we're able to gauge it. But we definitely saw with people who had a huge upswing, a little bit of tail down from that that peak growth, which we all said, holy cow, I mean, 26, 27% growth in year rent. That just didn't make sense. So we tried to ride it up as long as we could. And as we saw it stopping, we tried to lever back. Are you seeing more deliveries in, you said you, I think you mentioned 11 or 12 markets you're in. Are you seeing more deliveries on the the multi side, which is affecting your rentals at all? Or is it because you're in in such a niche space of that small sub four units, it sort of doesn't necessarily affect you as much? No, we're actually seeing the opposite. And I'll tell you why. The banks are really putting the shackles on people. And, you know, you can be a great builder with a great balance sheet and they want, you know, a blood test from your firstborn before they're going to loan to you. There's always three more conditions. We're in a pretty lucky position where we were partially acquired last year by a large builder out of Texas who is owned by Sumitomo. Sumitomo is in the news all over the place, large conglomerate out of Japan, 331 year old company. They wanted build to rent and they wanted Florida. So we were a perfect match. And what they did is they actually fund all of our building projects. We do not have any bank debt for our company. So we don't have any shackles on from the banks where a lot of other good builders do have that. You know, the financing out there is really tough right now. So we haven't had a stopping. We've been able to continue to build and we don't even have to build pre-construction. A lot of people that do what we do, they have to get a pre-contract on it with a deposit to fulfill the bank's safety concerns. We're able to build on spec in large volume and then we can release it to our clients 60 days before it's done so they don't have a long escrow period. And so we have no delays. Unfortunately, some of our friends and competitors they're tied. They're not able to get the money right now to build, even though the fundamentals are still strong. Yep. Yep. No, I think it's, it's, it, we're part of what we are also seeing, um, at least on our, our build for rent, is going in, doing the horizontals, and people want that vertical ready pads. They don't want the paper lots. Okay, you've done shifted some paper. Any yeah. man and their dog can do that. You go spend some money, go spend some serious dollars on putting in the horizontals, your dry utilities, your wet utilities, your, your, your driveways, or, or at least you know getting the, the pads ready. And then they will come in because it's less risk. And I think a lot of builders who are in the building space, which are you, you guys, like we're, we're not builders. We are developers more, and this is a, a forte. It's a small project. And we're seeing more of those builders want that shovel-ready less risk so they can tick the boxes for the bank to say, look, we've got this piece of dirt. She's ready to go vertical. Let's do it. Yeah. Oh, the banks don't want to touch that first phase. We used to actually, before we were acquired, we used to have land funds that we would raise, you know, and we had, you know, tens of millions of dollars in land funds out there. We were paying a high interest because we knew we had to get that part done before the bank would even look at it. Yep. Yep. 
Well, mate, look, I, I could talk to you for days, for hours and hours and hours. I want to, you know, keep this interview as short as possible and sweet to let you get on your way. What do you got planned for 2024 and beyond? And what do you see coming down? The do you see a softer interest rates in the future and all that sort of stuff? That's probably what is on everyone's mind coming here into 2024. So that's and and you hit on that before. That's our 2024. You know, our game plan running the ball of building small residential real estate in high growth markets of Florida is the plan. But the most important thing that we've been able to develop, especially over the last six to 10 months, is our own in-house financing program. So we are really in not only the building business now, but the money buying business. We are pre-buying mortgages. We're in a lucky position where we have got a great balance sheet to do it. We can afford to do it. You know, there's quite some um, qualifications you have to do it, but we're in that position now. And right now, Today, instead of waiting for interest rates to come down, since we're able to pre-buy our mortgages, we're actually getting our investors, and you have to qualify first, but uh, once you get the qualifying, we're getting their mortgages at 4.75%. Wow. Now, most people are getting locked in at about three points higher than that, but since we're pre-buying it and we're a builder with the position to be able to do it, that gets them started off on the right foot. Most people say, well, why aren't you buying right now? Is it pricing? Well, no, the pricing would work if these interest rates weren't so crazy. So mm -hmm. me and my partner set it a mission to start to make sure we could provide our own in-house financing, which we now do for our people. And that's 30-year AM, 10-year fixed. Or if you want to go about a quarter point higher, you can get it fixed at 30 years. And I, I'm sure we could spend a whole episode talking about exactly how you built that vertical out. <laughs> but it's interesting. You, yeah. You know, I could imagine. it's We're actually about to launch with our own investors. And it, it's not what you're doing, but it's it's a debt fund, hard money debt fund. And it's just, yeah, yeah. you know, coming out of pro a lot of investors, our private equity, they, you know, they've seen the risk and the high interest rates are getting whacked now. They want something in a little safer position. Yep. So we're starting to offer more other options at the smorgasbord, which is clearly what you're offering for your investors to, to allow them to you know, come to you and say, you, you can be my soup to nuts uh, across all my diversification needs in one shop, which I think is really powerful for a company as you, know, as you, as the, you know, the, the, the picture in the back of Byron Bay, as you surf that wave, you've got you know, things that the US market is going to be what the US market is going to be. We can't control that and we have to pivot as that happens in real time. So, exactly. Yeah. That's all you can do. That's all you can do. And if I have any advice when people go, well, what would you have done wrong? I mean, what would you have done differently in the last 25 years? Read, I would own less of better quality with less leverage. That's it. Mm -hmm. I still would have grown more. I would have handled the downtimes worse. Oh, wait, would have been a lot less painful. I survived when a lot of people fell. But man, if I had just owned less of better quality with less leverage, it would have worked better. You can continue to grow, but grow with quality. Grow with you know some, some real guardrail measurements. Because if you don't, then when the, you know, the Warren Buffett, everyone's wearing a bathing suit till the tide comes out and then you're going to find out who's naked or not. And that's just a lesson that I've learned. I'd rather own less of better quality, not a leverage to the hill. And then I'm going to be able to make better decisions as you navigate those waves. Yeah. No, I, uh, and I think we're going to see a lot more people swimming naked in these next six to 12 months, particularly on the commercial side, uh, particularly in the multifamily side. So so watch this space. Mate, last question before we get into the lightning round. Where's your next destination you're going to go surfing at? Costa Rica. We'll Costa Rica. Yep. Yeah, awesome. <laughs> awesome. Well, mate, with that being said, we'd like to dive into the lightning round. You ready to get into it? Yeah, let's do it. Mate, question number one is, what's the daily habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Exercise and meditation. Yep. You Any type of meditation that you do? Um, I was taught TM years ago. That's that's a, a good one or mantra meditation. Yep. Yeah, awesome. Question number two is who's been the most influential person in your career to date? 
That would probably be my surfing buddy, Craig, who's very wealthy, surfs every day out of uh, Byron Bay, Australia. And he's <laughs> about 12 years older than me. So uh, hasn't written any books, but definitely changed my life. And then Keith Cunningham was big as well. Um, he mentored me for five years. That's awesome. I'd love to meet Craig one day when I'm back in Australia. Question number three is, what's the most influential tool in your business? You have a lot of verticals in your business. When I say tool, it could be physical, like a phone or a journal, or it could be a piece of software that you just can't run the business without. What is it? You know, if, if we're going to go to non-physical, I was taught years ago by Vern Harnish. He's become a friend. He was, I did some, so he was at one of our family retreats. He started EO. Incredible guy. And one of the things that he made me the most simple understanding was the importance of a daily huddle. Mm -hmm. That daily huddle with my sales and marketing team, we were able to navigate the pandemic, take opportunities, solve issues real quick. So that daily huddle, that regrouping of my my sales leadership team has been irreplaceable. Mm. And you still do that today? Uh, Every day. Yeah, that's awesome. Question number four in one sentence, what's been the biggest failure in your career? When did you learn from that failure? The biggest failure in my career was 2008, where I came that close to bankruptcy because I had a ton of properties, but they were in so-so condition and highly leveraged and in tough areas. So that made it very hard to keep things afloat. And the lesson was own less of better quality with less leverage. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to be the, the definitely soundbite of today's episode. And, and I think that's happening again today. Oh, it is especially some of our commercial friends who, you know, they got these teaser loans for two years and now they've underwritten and they're three points above. It's it's a scary situation. I, I really feel for them. But, you know, again, I'd rather you can you can move into the next opportunity phase if you're better positioned to do so. And you can't do that when you're over leveraged, your properties are in disrepair or, you know, you you're, it, it's just not a good p- place to be. No, 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 no. Well, look, last question is where can people reach you to continue the conversation? They want to be in your sphere. Where do they go? Yeah, if you're interested in our build to rent program, go to jjplaybook.com. That's a great starting point. something my wife and I designed about our journey into real estate, how we went through different channels and niches and ended up with build to rent. It's been the most successful we've ever worked in or with our nearly thousand clients have worked with. So that'd be a great starting point. Awesome stuff, my friend. Look, I want to thank you so much for jumping on the show today. I just want to reflect some of the things I took away from today's show. I think that's you know, one of the things you mentioned earlier was being very granular with your selective of tenants and, and how you learnt over the years in your business to make sure that you're not giving the giving that control over to your investors who may not necessarily understand how to screen the tenants, which is going to then cause the community to not necessarily come to a dis- you know, disrepair or disarray, but it's just it, it, it doesn't attract the right type of tenants overall, and that can sometimes cause a lot, a lot, lot, a lot more issues as an operator than uh, you, you know, sort of want to you, know, you signed up for. The other thing I really took away from today is how you've been able to really understand the vertical integration over time and start to see where you can profit more from across the soup to nuts of building a project, underwriting it, you know, being the manager, and then also having the back end with the sales and now the financing, which you mentioned earlier, which I think is really, really key. And then the last thing I took away from today was, was what you said before. Hot, better quality, lower leverage stuff is a lesson that we can all we all, all new investors, including myself, can all take away from, and, and, and particularly in high interest rate environments like we are in today, uh, I think we're seeing a lot of the similar hallmarks play out in the commercial real estate space today as it does in, in 2008. So watch this space. Did I leave anything out there, my friend? 
Uh, just surfing destinations, I'd say. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm going to have to take you up on, on, on hitting you up down in, uh, in Costa Rica there in a, in a couple of months' time. But look, Ben, I want to thank you so much for jumping on today's show. Enjoy the rest of your week, and we'll catch up very, very soon. Thanks, Reed. Well, there you have another cracking episode jam-packed with some incredible advice from Jim. If you want to check him out, go to jjplaybook.com and check out everything that he's doing in the build for rent space, particularly if you're an, an active investor looking to get into the Florida markets. He's across 12 or 13 different MSAs in Florida, so definitely check him out there. I want to thank you all again for taking some time out of your day to tune in to continue to grow your financial IQ because that's what we do here on this show. If you want to give the show uh, some feedback or a review, you can jump onto iTunes and give us a five-star review. We're going to do this all again next week. So remember... Be bold, be brave, and go give life a crack.